I'm your host, Anna Danino, and welcome to episode 15 of the Crime Bistro Podcast. This show gazes into the thrillingly twisted world of true crime, examining real cases while we share in a passion for crime and coffee alike. For this episode, I am enjoying an iced mocha cold brew, so grab yourself a fresh brew, and let's get into the bizarre disappearance of Danielle Imbo and Richard Patrone. Danielle Imbo and Richard Patrone were last seen leaving Abilene's Bar in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the late evening hours of February 19, 2005, and were never heard from again. These two didn't simply go missing, they and Richard's truck completely vanished on that night. There were no witnesses, there is no security camera footage, and to this day, zero trace of Danielle, Richard, or the Dodge Dakota. This case continues to baffle law enforcement, the families, and all those who come across it, and while there are theories, there isn't even enough evidence to start ruling out possibilities. Even after all of these years have passed, there is absolutely nothing. Danielle was born on August 7th of 1970, and those who knew her described her as a very smart woman with a great, outgoing personality and a very good sense of humor. She has also been described as a very blunt, a tell-it-like-it-is type of girl. She was living at the time in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, which is across the Delaware River from Pennsylvania, and she was working from home for a mortgage company. She was also the lead singer in a New Jersey rock band called The Schoolboys, with a Janis Joplin type of voice. Following in her father's footsteps, whose name was Johnny Otterbrook, who sang for a doo-wop group called The Four Dates in the 1950s. Her love of music saw her spending a lot of time in different bars, performing, or listening to other live bands. She had a two-year-old son whose name was Joe Jr. at the time that she went missing with her former husband, Joe Imbo, and Danielle felt complete with her son in her life like she was meant for parenthood. Their marriage started to fall apart when their son was born, and a friend who lived with the couple said that they felt Joe wasn't ready for a child and that the responsibility scared him. While Danielle was at home with their sick child, Joe left to attend the 2004 Super Bowl, returning home only to tell his wife that he had met another woman on the plane to New Orleans, and he quickly moved out to stay with this new woman in Georgia. Immediately after this, the two separated and started filing for divorce. Joe's new whirlwind relationship lasted only a few months, however, and even in the beginning of their divorce proceedings, Joe started asking Danielle for another chance. This divorce was, from the start, never easy, and it seems that the two kept going back and forth in between extremes, wanting either to try and make the relationship work or just having pretty bad arguments. Richard lived in Ardmore, Pennsylvania, and worked at his family's bakery, which was called Viking Pastries. He lived in the apartment over the bakery, and he has been described as good-natured and jovial, a laid-back person who had a great personality. Richard, like Danielle, absolutely loved music, and he was known for never missing a Springsteen show. He had a 14-year-old daughter whose name was Angela, who he had been raising as a single parent for a while, and her name was tattooed on his left arm. He was an extremely dedicated parent, learning how to dress his daughter and even how to do her hair. In 2003, Angela actually decided to move in with her mother in South Philadelphia, but he still saw her several days a week and still was her primary chauffeur, and Richard had never been married to Angela's mother. Richard's family was very important to him, and he went to visit his parents for dinner once every week where they would make his favorite meal, which was chicken cutlets. He worked alongside his father at the pastry shop and attended culinary school to learn how to build tiered wedding cakes. He also stayed in very close contact with his family, frequently calling his mother multiple times throughout the day. 
Richard and Danielle had been involved in an on-again, off-again relationship that started way back when they were in high school. Danielle had attended Cherry Hill High School East, and Richard was at Bishop Eustis Prep, but Danielle was good friends with Richard's sister, Christine. Danielle did have a crush on Richard in high school, however, he was so busy playing hockey at the time that he didn't pick up on it. By the time that they did rediscover one another, they had been reintroduced by Richard's sister, Christine, and this was after Danielle had already been married and divorced to Joe Imbo, the father of Joe Jr. The relationship between Danielle and Richard was going well, but Joe Imbo was still attempting to save their marriage, and Danielle did seem pretty torn between the two. Unsure of what to do, Danielle decided to call off her relationships with both men entirely in January of 2005 and take some time to be single and focus solely on her son. She also realized that she and Richard wanted different things. Richard wanted to get married and live in the city while she wanted to raise her son in the suburbs and she wasn't ready to be married again, as her custody arrangements had only just been settled. Even as Valentine's Day that year came and went, she made no contact with Richard, and the two didn't speak again until about a week after that, on February 19th. On the night of February 19th, 2005, Danielle went out to get dinner with her mother, Felice, Richard's mother, Marge Patron, and Richard's sister, Christine. The two families were very close, and these girls' nights out were a regular occurrence. Joe Imbo was caring for Joe Jr. for the weekend, so Danielle was excited to have a bit of time out with the group and to be able to let her hair down a little bit. It had been a very stressful few months for her. That night, Richard had gone to the South Philly Tap Room near his apartment and had dinner by himself. He then reached out to his sister, asking if she would like to meet him for a few drinks and to see a band perform, and Christine declined, but she did extend the invitation to Danielle, who did agree as she was a former singer who loved live music, and the two met on South Street when Christine dropped Danielle off. Danielle and Richard joined another couple, who were two of Richard's friends named Anthony Valentino and Michelle McLaughlin, to have a couple of drinks at Abilene's Bar at 249 South Street in Philadelphia. Anthony and Michelle said that the couple looked like they were having a really good time together and even snuck in a couple of kisses during the night. They left together at around 11.45 p.m. after the music ended since they were both supposed to pick up their kids the next day and they didn't want to be too tired, and they said that they both seemed relaxed and in a very good mood when they left the bar. Danielle had gotten a ride into the city, so Richard offered to take her home. This should have been only about a 30-minute drive back to Mount Laurel. They said goodnight to Anthony and Michelle, and Richard actually mentioned to them that he had found a really close parking spot so that they wouldn't have to walk too far as this was February in Philadelphia, and it was only 26 degrees that night. They were seen walking on South Street towards Richard's truck, but there has not been a single sighting of them or the truck since. There is not one piece of physical evidence in this case. No phone calls, ransom notes, no wreckage or pieces of the truck, and no remains. Essentially, it is like the two walked out of the bar that night and literally vanished into thin air. Patron's truck was a 2001 black over silver Dodge Dakota pickup truck with the Pennsylvania license plates YFH2319. It is also still missing, and it may have a NASCAR number 99 decal in the rear window. Danielle was last seen wearing a dark colored jacket, a cream colored sweater, and blue jeans. She also wore three small silver rings and was carrying a two-handle black purse at the time she went missing and she's estimated to be about 5 foot 5 and 117 pounds. 
Richard was last seen wearing a gray polo sweatshirt and blue jeans, and he is about 5 foot 9 and 200 pounds. Danielle's brother John arrived at her home the next morning at 9 a.m. to help her fix a curtain rod that her son had pulled down, but Danielle didn't answer the door, which did confuse him since she knew that he was coming. He called her, but it went straight to voicemail, so he instead called his mother to ask if she had heard from her, and his mother mentioned knowing that Danielle had been out with Richard and suggested that maybe she had just stayed the night with him. Hearing this, John thought that it made complete sense and just let himself into the house with a spare key. Inside the home, he said nothing seemed out of place and the bed had not been slept in, which almost confirmed to him that she had, in fact, spent the night with Richard. Danielle's family noticed that something was actually wrong when she wasn't there for her hair appointment on Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Richard's sister, Christine, was her hairdresser and she worked at this salon, which was located in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And she did call Danielle when she didn't show up, but there was no answer. And it wasn't like her to miss an appointment without telling anyone. But Christine did know that Danielle had planned to catch up on work that day and that Joe Impa would be bringing her son over later. Everyone had described her unanimously as a great mother, and she never would have forgotten anything involving her young son, so everyone just started to hold out hope that she would show up when her son was dropped off. However, Christine did decide to reach out to her brother still, knowing that they had been together the night before, and his phone was also going straight to voicemail. While people began to notice that Danielle might be missing, Richard's mother, Marge Patrone, had also not been able to get a hold of him, and Rich and Marge did talk on the phone every single day, so this was starting to become concerning. Richard had told some of his friends that he would be home that day watching the Daytona 500, and she did call his home phone in addition to his cell phone, but only reached the recorded messages. She did think that this was really odd, since Richard never turned his phone off, and as a devoted father, he was highly unlikely to make himself unreachable to his daughter. Christine went over to Richard's apartment to see if he was there, and before even opening the door, she heard his dog barking like crazy, and this dog hadn't been let out in hours, and just the fact that this dog had been left alone overnight made the family think that something terrible had happened to Richard the night before. Once the families connected with each other and realized that neither Danielle or Richard had been seen, Danielle's mom and brother went over to Danielle's house to decide what to do, and true panic really started to set in when her estranged husband Joe came to drop off their son with Danielle at her condo, and she still hadn't arrived home. They didn't tell Joe that Danielle hadn't come home, just telling him that she was at an appointment, and they've never explained why they didn't tell him right away, however, this is likely to do with the divorce. If they were fighting over custody, it would have been detrimental for Danielle not to show up to see her son that day, but I have no idea if they were in fact fighting over custody, this is just a guess. After this happened, the police were notified, however, the family was told they would have to wait 48 hours before starting an investigation. The 48 hours misconception is unfortunately pretty common when it comes to missing persons cases, however, it is important for everyone to know that there is absolutely no waiting period. Whether the report is for an adult or a child, anyone can be a missing person, and often those initial 48 hours can be the most critical to an investigation. But because the police had told them to wait, the family began to search by themselves, driving up and down the streets of Philadelphia looking for any sign of Richard's truck. They also crossed the Walt Whitman, Ben Franklin, and Betsy Ross bridges, which all connected Philadelphia to New Jersey, and they were up searching all night. Friends and volunteers canvassed neighborhoods for a 100 miles in each direction, and pictures of Richard's truck were distributed. They also put together homemade missing persons posters with photos of the couple, 
and distributed hundreds in the South Street area. Danielle's brother, John, even paid a Camden police officer $1,200 to take him up in a helicopter to try and look for the truck. This officer and John had an exchange as the officer tried to prepare him, saying, quote, No one is ever going to find anything, end quote. To which John asked, quote, What do you mean? End quote. And the cop replied with, quote, It's too clean, end quote. Police did consider the possibility that the two had left of their own accord to be together, but their families denied this completely, saying that they both just loved their children way too much to ever leave them behind. When police did take over the investigation, they looked into the couple's cell phone records, bank accounts, and easy passes, finding that there had been no activity since their disappearance. They also looked into surveillance cameras in all of the ATM machines that recorded transactions on South Street, and video cameras at highway toll plazas and river crossings, with none of them catching a glimpse of the couple or of the truck. And the toll cameras on the bridges that went from Philadelphia to New Jersey only captured footage of cars that were going into Pennsylvania, so there was no way to tell if they had ever made it to the bridges. Law enforcement searched Philadelphia for the truck and also looked for it at the Philadelphia International Airport and in the nearby swampland in Tinicum Township, which is located near the airport on the Delaware River, about 12 miles from South Street, but found no trace of it. At the time that they left the bar, there would have been hundreds of people out on South Street, however, no witnesses came forward, which is incredibly strange. Likely, this indicates that if no one remembers them, they didn't stand out in any way, which means that they were acting completely normal. Having found no physical evidence, they started to seriously consider that the truck was submerged in the Delaware River, which was the closest body of water to where the couple was last seen. Because they had been unable to rule anything out and there were no leads, police were still considering the fact that the pair had gotten into an accident in the truck. This was one of the many theories considered, however, it was definitely one of the first possibilities considered by families and police, and it does seem like this could be plausible. It would explain why there was no activity on any of their accounts or cell phones, however, this was a large truck, and if it went into a ditch on the side of the road, it would be pretty easy to spot. The river was also searched, and other vehicles were recovered, but never Richard's. As is surprisingly common with missing persons cases, psychics started to contact Danielle's family, and one specifically contacted John, her brother, about six weeks after the vanishing, seeming completely convinced that the truck was in the river under the Walt Whitman Bridge, which connects Philadelphia to New Jersey. This person said that Danielle was still alive and, quote, is being held in the boxcar of a train in Philadelphia. You have to act now or your sister will be gone forever, end quote, which made John absolutely frantic, and he called Mount Laurel detective Ed Pincus, who was working on the case. The detective told him not to go and search on his own, but John ignored the warning, and fearing for his safety, Pincus ordered a search. Police went through every train car that they could find, finding absolutely no trace of Danielle. Several vehicles were recovered from the water, but none of them were Richards, and the families started to lose faith in psychics after this incident. A billboard was put up on I-95 in Philadelphia, with the couple's faces urging people to contact police if they knew anything, and by that time, the $12,200 reward had grown to $100,000. The family was initially hopeful that the couple would turn up with a rational explanation for their disappearance, but as this hope dimmed, the possibility of foul play started coming into everyone's minds, and eyes immediately turned to Danielle's ex-husband, Joe Imbo. According to Richard's father, Richard Patron Sr., 
Richard told him that he had received several threatening calls from Danielle's estranged husband. Quote, he kept telling me, stay away from her, leave her alone, end quote. There were apparently three phone calls of this nature, and in one conversation in November of 2004, Joe had allegedly threatened to go to the bakery with a baseball bat to kill Richard, and this is thought to be out of jealousy for Danielle and Richard's connection. In regard to the phone calls, Joe has said that they weren't threatening in any nature, but he was just telling Richard to stay away from Danielle until the divorce had been finalized. Marge Patrone, Richard's mother, characterized Joe as being mentally abusive in his marriage to Danielle, and said that he had been secretly intercepting her voicemails during their divorce since he had her phone password. Apparently, the two had argued in 2005, and Danielle had told family members that Joe threw the baby's high chair against the wall, but Joe has denied that this ever happened. Either way, Danielle's brother came over after to change her locks, and he then sat down with Joe regarding the incident, saying, quote, the message was that he needed to be civil, end quote. Joe was definitely the prime suspect initially for both families of the missing couple. However, he does have a solid alibi for the night of February 19th, and he was at a child's birthday party over 50 miles away from Philadelphia at the home of Alex Schuer, and he spent the night there. This is accounted for by Alex himself, Joe's stepfather, who was a former NYPD officer, as well as several other active officers who saw him there as well. He has never been formally declared a suspect because there isn't enough evidence against him, and Joe maintains that he never threatened Richard, and the police have reason to believe that the two men never actually met face-to-face. -face. He did volunteer to take a polygraph test, the results of which were inconclusive. As the months were passing, tensions were rising between the two families. Neither of them believed that this had been the result of a random attack. However, if one of the couple had been the real target, then they had put the other person in harm's way that night. Not to mention, neither family wanted to believe that their child was the target. The families eventually turned on each other, and they were known to exchange harsh words. Danielle's family speculated about Richard, suggesting that he was rough around the edges, and speculating that maybe he had some gambling debt or a mob tie, to which the police have said, quote, Believe me, we looked, and we continue to look, but nothing has emerged that there was anything in his background that would suggest him as a target for murder, end quote. Danielle's family believed that no matter what happened, Richard should have done something to protect her, and Richard's family began to firmly believe that Joe Imbo was somehow involved. Danielle's brother John has confirmed that the two families no longer speak, but denies any animosity, saying, quote, There's no feuding, we just don't speak. End quote. Danielle's family has tried their best to remain hopeful, but according to Richard's friend Anthony Valentino, Richard's family presumes that he is dead. His mother, Marge, said that she felt in her gut that her son had died the first Sunday that he went missing, even as her husband was calling every hospital and police station in the region. Richard Sr. says that he became sure his son was dead that following Tuesday. Police considered that the truck could have been stolen and dismantled for parts. However, according to Sergeant Cooney of the Philadelphia Police Department, if this was the case, someone probably would have been enticed by the $100,000 reward which is much more money than any part of the truck would have ever been worth. Since 2008, the FBI has been investigating this case as a possible murder for hire, but has not named any suspects. They claim that this was, quote, a well-orchestrated act, end quote. FBI agent Vito Roselli, the investigator in charge of the case, later said, quote, making two people and a truck disappear with no witnesses and no evidence of any kind for nine years suggests methodical planning, end quote. 
He also said, quote, it's possible a perpetrator could just get lucky, but it's more likely just what it looks like. Someone behind this knew what they were doing, end quote. This is understandable given the complete lack of evidence. However, there is one thing that gets me about this theory. If it was a targeted hit, it would have had to have been for only one of them, since they weren't supposed to be together on that night, it was just a last-minute change of plans. And if there was a hit planned for only one of them, why would that party still go through with it once they saw that there were two people instead of one? It does seem planned, and it seems professional. However, no matter how smart this supposed hitman was, there was no way they could have been accounting for Danielle and Richard being together on the night of February 19th. Richard's family fervently denies this, however, there was a theory produced in 2016 that Richard may have been involved with organized crime. The FBI pursued a possible link between Richard and the Pagan's Motorcycle Club, which is known for moving illicit substances and aggression. A special agent actually interviewed a member of the Pagan Motorcycle Club named Patrick Treacy and asked him about a double murder, but Treacy denied all of the allegations and police also found nothing to connect Richard to any illegal activity. A reporter named Steve Volk for the Philly Mag, who spoke with Joe Imbo years later regarding the case, said the following of that meeting, quote, The good times cause a torrent of happy memories, their first meeting at the car dealership, a first date that went on all night and meandered all over Philly and New Jersey, end quote. During the conversation, Joe said, quote, I don't talk about this a lot. It's awful. The person who suffers the most is my son. He lost a wonderful person in his life, end quote. And the reporter asked him flat out, quote, you have nothing to do with the disappearance of your wife, end quote. Joe looked him straight in the eye and said, quote, absolutely not, end quote. And honestly, I would go so far to say that I believe him. Today, the investigation is ongoing, even after 16 years, and the South Philly Review reported in February of 2001 that the FBI, in coordination with the Philadelphia Police Department, New Jersey State Police, Mount Laurel Police Department, and Burlington County Prosecutor's Office, is actively looking for information regarding the disappearance. According to the FBI, quote, an extensive investigation to date has generated some promising leads, however neither they nor the vehicle has ever been located, end quote, but the case does remain open and active. The FBI won't characterize the case as unusual until there is an outcome, however, it is certainly baffling. And there is still a $50,000 reward for information on the couple's whereabouts, or for information that leads to the arrest of those responsible for their disappearance. This reward is being administered by the Philadelphia Citizens Crime Commission, and their tip line can be reached anonymously at 215-546-TIPS. In regard to Danielle and Richard, FBI agent Vito Roselli has said, quote, Every detective, every agent has their case, the one that haunts them, and this is mine, end quote. There are so many questions that just have no answers. Was foul play involved, and if so, was it a targeted attack or random violence? Was it a car accident, but if so, where is the truck? Did they run away? This case destroyed the lives of two families and even damaged the long-standing relationship between all of them as the questions stacked and answers were nowhere to be found. This is a case that is extremely frustrating because the only way to describe it is that both of these people and the truck literally vanished. The more years that pass, unfortunately, it seems less likely that any conclusion will be made. However, it is still important to keep Danielle and Richard in our minds as their families certainly always will. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Crime Bistro Podcast, and if you are interested in learning more about the case of Danielle Imbo and Richard Patrone, all of the sources are listed in the show notes at crimebistro.com. If you have a theory of your own to share, feel free to head over and visit the podcast on YouTube or on Instagram at Crime Bistro Podcast to leave a comment and to see some behind-the-scenes updates on the episodes to come. With that, this story is coming to a close, so thanks again, and as always, until next time.